Welcome, everybody, to Recovery Machine. My name's Nathan, and my co-host, Corey, is here as usual. We are on episode, according to YouTube, 16, and I think uh, we've got them as uh, episode, this will be episode 18 on the audio version. Um, Today is kind of an interesting episode because we're going to bring you up to speed on uh, on how Corey's been doing with his back to work process. There's been some development. So I guess I'll start by just asking you how it's uh, going today. Yeah, I'm doing uh, really well. Thanks, Nathan. Um, I'm really happy to be doing this episode with you today. Today, this episode has been a long time coming. We've been talking about some of the aspects of this for a very long time. We've been talking about aspects of this since before the start of, of our podcast and certainly aspects of this conversation that we're going to have today, we've been we've been thinking about doing uh, as we've been going through the podcast. So this feels like it's kind of been a long time coming, and I'm I'm looking forward to telling a bit more of my story. Yeah, and I'm interested in making sure that we we do a good job of it. In that I, I mean, there's there's various ways we could go about uh, tackling this this type of uh, an episode, but. I think uh, we've got a good framework to go on, and our goal here is to to take as objective of a stance as possible, and that we want to provide everybody with uh, a a look at what goes on, the inner workings of the machine. In this this one, of course, will be centered around the the nursing world, but it's it's generally the same. You know, depending on your profession, there might be little differences. But it's generally the same across the board as far as as the type of obstacles and uh, and things that you meet. So that's our hope. We're gonna we're gonna kind of give you an insider's view, and hopefully somebody will find that useful. I'm sure they will, especially if they're you know leaning into a <laughs> or heading in the direction of a uh, of a back to work. Absolutely, process. and you know, as much as we've had some really good feedback about some of our particular episodes where we get into the details of the process and into some, Oh, some, some, some snags and some, some traps that happen along the way and some stumbling blocks that people encounter. And my story happens to have a high, quite a high number of those. And, and so without, you know, our, our goal is not to have an episode of complaining, but to have an episode that, that, um, that, like you said, that people can learn from and that for, our sincere hope is that that people can hear before they get to that point and it can maybe provide a little bit of guidance or a framework maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Shed some light on the topic and yeah, you're right to say, I mean, I, I've, I've seen in my work with obsidian, I, I think I've seen one or two cases that, that were more sinister as a weird name, just confusing or they appeared malicious. And I, I can't, uh, I don't have evidence to, to, to back that up, but it it just, they look really weird uh, from the outside looking in and, and they, they they ended up in the person uh, being, you know, just uh, the whole thing was a a kind of a terrible experience in that case. Yours is a, particularly strange in just the uh the series of events that took place for seeing so many kind of uh <laughs> you know special meetings and and weird twists and turns and stuff yeah but, uh, uh so i guess we'll we'll start by bringing people kind of up uh back to what was our first episode which was yeah. your introduction and everybody knows by now what you're what you're doing but uh how long have you been off work? We'll remind people about that, I guess. I've been off work for what is approaching 18 months. 18 months off work. During that time, you completed the treatment program that you were supposed to, the the one that you were uh, agreed to complete as part of your contract. Yeah, I completed that 14 or 15 months ago. So that okay. was a lot. That feels like a pretty distant memory in this whole process now, but yeah. Yeah. And then you also did some proactive work yourself with uh, seeking out therapy. Yeah, I, I did. I, I I started my own journey of therapy the first week I went off work in October of 2020. And and I'm still I'm still connected with a therapist today. It's certainly not quite as as intense as it was. I was doing that weekly, sometimes a couple of times a week. 
and now I do it a couple of times a month and it's more to more for maintenance and to check in and, and, and the, the topic of discussion is, is much broader now than it was. It was very, very, you know, addiction focused and recovery focused. So, uh, so I'm still doing that actually. Right. Okay. And um, still attending. I, I know you're running one smart meeting as a facilitator. We still have you in, in obsidian. Yep. And uh, so you're still doing that type of work as well. Still doing that, still really enjoying it. And I'm um, with doing the smart meetings uh, still three times a week, most weeks. Okay. And it seems to me, I mean, everybody, everybody talks about you as the kind of uh, the uh, model for how one should go through this process in, in a few different respects, but one of them is your improvement uh, the, the way that you, you kind of wet at this problem. And really, I think because you tackled it honestly and you were willing to to really do whatever it took, you know, like going out and, and finding a therapist that worked or finding other methods on top of what you were required to do. And I guess I'm wondering how that's how that's impacted you up to this point. I mean, you've had a year and a half of working on this stuff and and what kind of benefits have you seen? I think, well, thank you, first of all. I I, I think that it I'm still very much a work in progress. I, I see myself as, as someone who will have to work on aspects of my mental health, particularly for probably for, for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, I, I went into it at the time as though it was my job and, and leaned into it pretty hard and, and it, it became quite a busy, a busy part of my life. And, and I, you know, with some of the additional supports, um, that were provided to me through, like through workers' compensation, I, you know, had a personal trainer. That was the other thing. So there were weeks with all of the groups I was in and doing rehab and doing personal training where I thought, how would I possibly have time to even work a job with how, how busy I was? Um, and so as a result of that, I think there's a lot of my thinking that has changed a lot of the way I have thought about, about substance use and about, uh, my former opiate use that has really changed, and oh my god, the the shift in thinking about community and about the value of of connection and those are that's been maybe the biggest change and um and so those groups, your group included, the smart groups, those are a really important part of my life now, and I still really enjoy those. So yeah, I think that answers part of your question there. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, it it kind of reflects what uh, most people whether they're early in or later on in, in, in their process of, of growth, I guess you could call it. Um, it does seem to me like uh, we've had, we had somebody in the meeting there. What was it last week where they, they're actually pretending to, they weren't really mad, but they were, you know, jealous of you. Right. Like, yeah. How is this guy? And I, it, it's always, I mean, the grass is always greener, right? You can't, nobody can be inside your head. And I know that, we're similar in that uh, you could, you know, I, I know there's, there's going to be struggles just like for anybody. And even though you, you appear to be doing very well, that's kind of a reflection of your, the work that you've put in. So. Um, yeah. And I think, I, I think I was also the timing, the, the timing is different for everyone who gets caught or puts himself, you know, goes to their employer, goes to their, their college or however it is that they come forward and and have to go off work. For me, uh, it wasn't my choice. As anyone who remembers episode one, it was my employer who called me and who took me off work. And I was just, it was a, it was a kind of a perfect moment. I was, I felt really ready and I was kind of desperate. I think I knew that it was uh, needed to come, that needed to come to an end and that I needed help. And, and, and I, so I was kind of, I think I was kind of starved for some of the things that I was, that I was getting um, like this, like the counseling and the support, the, certainly the community getting physically active, starting to read again. I was starved for all of that stuff. So I was, especially in the first six months, I was really willing to kind of soak it in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're talking about there. I think people come at, uh, you know, whether they turn themselves in or, or whether their employer uh, figures out what they're doing or whatever the case may be, you're right. If they, if they're in a place where you, you sort of need to be at the right spot mentally, where you've, 
you're, you've been wrestling with the problem long enough so that you realize that, uh, you know, you're going to need some kind of large scale change. And, and the change is so large scale that it's almost impossible to implement without some kind of a, a massive paradigm shift. Yeah. And that, and that doesn't mean that it's blissful either. Like it's really bloody hard. (laughs) Um, but going back to that episode one, when I mentioned, you know, that initial feeling of relief and that was, I was very honest when I said that, like, that was, that's true. I felt like I was out and like, I could, like I could see a tiny little pinhole of light coming through and, um, and then, you know, you like Bruce Coburn says, you kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. And I started, I just started kicking, I think, and, and, yeah. and finding the right counselor for me, that was probably the biggest thing to, to break through some of that darkness, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important point because it's yeah. not one that's required usually during, I mean, very rarely will I see an addiction physician require that as part of a, part of a return to work agreement or a monitoring contract. But you found it tremendously useful, and uh, others probably could benefit if they find the right fit as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's the key. That's the key. So I think what we should do here is define the different entities that were that are involved in these types of situations. So uh, we didn't know for. I mean, they, your employer didn't even tell you why they wanted to talk to you for a long time, although you knew you, you were ninety nine percent sure that. Uh, that they wanted to talk about your, your substance use issue, but you, there was, there's different entities involved in, in each case. So which, uh, which players or, or groups of, uh, of authorities were involved in your case? Okay. So first one is obviously my employer. Yes. The second entity is the insurance company that is supporting the employer with all of the costs and all of the um, treatments and medical, I say procedures, but appointments <clears throat> and aspects of the of the treatment that required funding. The third entity is uh, the union, which not everyone in in my suit, not depending on what your employment is, what your profession is, you may or may not have that, but that's a pretty mm-hmm. common one. Yeah. Um, another one for me was was WorkSafe. So the in in our province the the organization that supports workers who are um, either mentally or physically injured at work. So there's four large large bureaucracies there. Very and large. You, you've got the college as well at some and, point, right? I, thank you. And, <laughs> and then the college. There's five. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to to clarify, you your human resources department was representing the your employer strictly right not they had nothing to do with the insurance company correct nothing to do with them no okay no and in fact they they weren't privy to a lot of the information that the insurance company had in terms of my medical diagnoses and treatments and, and stuff like that um they operated very um very much as a you know island body within the whole process yeah Okay. So which one of these entities did you communicate with first in a meaningful way? First was, was the union. So as soon as I received this phone call from, from my employer saying that I was not to come into work and that I had to go to a, come to a meeting, I, uh, I, I emailed and then called my union like the next day. Um, and that was what put all of the, everything into motion. It was, it was, this legal branch of my union that said, don't go into work. Here's how you call in sick. Here's how we, how we start this process. Um, and so I never, I never went into work again. And by taking their advice to call in sick and, and go off on, on leave, as it were, that stopped the investigation process for my employer. So had I not done that, I would have had to go into this, to, into this meeting and Frankly, it's hard for me to say what would have happened in that meeting, but it probably would have been some version of the meeting that ended up happening. And I was as as we were talking initially, I was just counting on my fingers. Uh, it was five or six months after that initial phone call and me going off work 
that that meeting happened. So that that initial meeting with my employer was was delayed by you know a huge huge period of time. And that oh, and that will play a role. We'll get into that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll talk about that as we move through. So was the college involved uh, immediately? Did it, what, what was the union's suggestion about the college? The, the college was not involved in the least. So okay. the, the advice was from the union, because we hadn't had this meeting with my employer, because there were no, and this meeting I would call, uh, apart from a, what became a disciplinary meeting, it was also a fact-finding meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no information to give to the college yet. There were suspicions about me, but that discussion hadn't happened because I was on medical leave and the union stances, you treat the person and the medical condition first and get, get the employee into a better state of health for them to then go forward with, with these, with these meetings. Looking back at that, if I, you know, just how my headspace changed, how my mindset changed, um, how dark my mental health was in that first few weeks. And I mean, when they, when they called me into this meeting, you know, I had only been, I hadn't been off of hydromorphone. Maybe I hadn't taken hydromorphone in, it would have been maybe five or six days, when I would have, would have gone into that meeting. And that's, uh, I just got to say, that's uh, yeah. ridiculous. I mean, you, that's about as disabled as you're going to get from that yeah, from having a a substance use issue with that drug, right? Yeah, um, you're yeah. in no way, shape, or form are you equipped to deal with that kind of a proceeding? No, and and you know that was reflected to me by the degree of anxiety that I was having at home in that first say two weeks. Which again, as I stated in in episode one, that was also I re- recognized that was about about opioid withdrawal as well. Yeah, sure, but. Um, and the union was really supportive of that and said, you know, you're not in a position to walk into a meeting where, you know, a fact finding or an investigation meeting in the, in the state of health and mental health that you're in, like what first things first here, let's get you back on your feet. And at the time I, I, I went with it cause that was the advice, but I, I don't think I really got it until I, until I eventually did walk into that meeting. Cause, cause holy shit, it comes comes at you really hard and fast in those meetings. And I would have, I wouldn't have been able to cope. I just wouldn't have been able to cope. Yeah. And I wonder Mm -hmm. they are cognizant of this. Your employer would be cognizant. I mean, they've had enough practice. Uh, They, you would think that they would have this, this is something that I've said from the beginning. I, the disorganization and the differing timetables, there's really no excuse for that in my opinion, just because of the sheer volume of cases that have went through by now, this should be a, a well-oiled procedure. They should know how long it takes when the best time to confront somebody about this is to get the, you know, the most uh, accurate information. All these things should be kind of dialed in by now, but it, they're not. They're not. And, and as I've learned by particularly as I've been coming to meetings with you, Nathan, since, you know, for the last 18 months or, or less, a little bit less than that. Um, almost every individual ends up feeling at some point or another, like, like this is the first time this has ever happened and not, not based on their own uh, thoughts and feelings, but based on how the system reacts to them. Like there is just, it is disorganized is, is inaccurate and, and gentle word for it. Cause it really yeah. ends, you, you end up feeling like there's no way that this could have ever happened before based on the, the, kind of the fumbling through that occurs. Yeah. And I think it kind of plays into the the stigma that they're on the one hand claiming not to, to, they're not operating with, they're saying they're not operating with a stigma in mind and that they're very much a believer in the, uh, the school of thought that what you have is a, a disease basically. Yeah. Uh, but we know that that is not exactly what goes on just from their actions and their actions often are punitive or confusing in that they don't, they don't align with that, that belief system. And it's kind of like they're saying one thing and then doing another all the time. So that part of it alone can be very confusing if you're taking everything at face value going through the system. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what was your union's 
kind of stance early as far as you know what did they want to see happen with you what was the what was the best case scenario or did they give you a a range of scenarios the best i can answer that is the message that i was given from the very beginning was we'll get you back to work mm-hmm. and this won't take that long we're going to get you back um we're going to put this behind you um you know I, I again i think i was off in october i think the initial time frame that i was given from october in october i was told i could be back by may this is a particularly maddening thing that i see over and over again yeah almost without fault everybody is told that that same story and it never it never comes true it's and it's not even close to to what actually happens i just it's hard to understand why why would they first of all you know you've got to make that decision you got to figure out what's best for you moving forward once you've had some time to to heal i'm just just making the blanket statement that we're going to get you back to work and we're going to we're going to do it fast it doesn't it, it doesn't give me faith that uh that they're they're tackling the problem in a, a realistic way but uh, it could be that they have other there's other motivations there legal or otherwise that i don't understand yeah and you know i i, I also recognize that the um the union or any union has multiple different employers to deal with. So there may, might be different experiences through different employers, although the knowledge we have from our meetings would suggest that there isn't all that much of a difference between different employers. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the message that I was given and as we go on with my story along the way with each, um, each hurdle or each stumbling block was okay. Well, it's just this. We'll get through this one, and then we're going to get get you back to work. Mm-hmm. And and it's an absolute head game in that, um, or the, the the end result of that is a head game. I think that it is probably well intentioned because you know, like we, I remember in our episode with Garth Mullins, like, do you want to tell someone? hold on tight. Cause you're going to go through a one hell of a bumpy ride. Maybe, maybe that is better. And I think it, in hindsight, it, it probably would have been better for me because what happens with, with each hurdle. And then you get kind of propped up and told, you know, hang on, it's going to get better. It's going to get easier. We're going to get you back to work. You kind of, okay. And you kind of try to build up your strength and you prop yourself up again and then the next hurdle comes or the next unknown around the corner comes and you deflate again. And that feeling of, of deflation is exhausting. And, and there's a, there is a consequence to that. It's not because each time you, you have to pick yourself up, it's harder to do so. Yeah. And keep in mind that this is exactly the opposite of what we would want to happen. Ideally to somebody who's, who's coming off of opioids. You don't want yeah. to increase, especially dramatic, uh, you know, this is a life stress that would be, you know, that'd be high on the scale. That would be considered severe if you were doing a psychological assessment. Um, it'd be like going through a divorce or, or something equal to that or close to it anyways. Uh, oh, I, I've, I've been through a divorce and I can tell you it's 50 times easier than going through <laughs> this process. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that in its in itself is a big problem with, yeah. with the way this is set up, and it uh, that is going to change one day. I don't know when, but uh, that's that's a you know that's a huge adjustment that will have to be made. But yeah, it deserves to be said. So your union was interested in getting you back to work, and they wanted to do yeah. it as as quickly as possible, and you hadn't heard anything. I, I guess your insurance company would be supporting you while this is going on because they're working under the pretense that you're going to be back to work soon. So they're, they're probably trying to, you know, they want to support you so that you don't uh, you've got enough resources to make it through until you can get back to work. They're doing the uh, number crunching and they're seeing that. Yep. And then you've got uh, your employer and they're, I guess in communication somehow with the union, is there some kind of a back and forth going there? 
Uh, well, we're working up to that point now. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, the, the treatment I went through was paid for by the insurance company. My follow-up independent medical examination was paid for by the insurance company because that's a, a requirement by the employer. They want to somehow extrapolate how, uh, how healed you are after whatever course of treatment you go through. Right. And they want a document that states that you're, that you're healed or that you are safe to go back to work. And that, and though that doctor's statement then becomes the, the letter of the law. Um, yeah. yeah. It's kind of a big game of pass the buck in this scenario. The college doesn't want the responsibility of saying, cause they're, they're generally, they're trying to protect the public. Your employer doesn't want the responsibility or the liability of saying that you're okay without a medical authority coming in and making that call. Right. But the truth of the matter is, is we don't have the, we don't have the means to do a true assessment that, that actually could measure properly where you were at in the beginning versus where you're at now. It doesn't exist. We don't have the, if, if it does, I don't know about it. I've never seen any technology that could do that. So we're left with a, you know, just a ridiculous kind of questionnaire that's, three categories of mild, <laughs> medium, and severe. Yeah. And uh, it's a bunch of check boxes. So that is another, you know, it's a, it's not a real thing. It's just there for liability purposes. Yeah. And then, and as we'll find out in my story, I end up going back for a, a third independent medical examination. And in terms of the cost and, and who's going to pay for that, that came into question again. And, and, uh, and the, the, word for, you know, the, the parsing of words within that document came into question. Right. Um, so I guess moving up, if you want to move up to the five or six months where you'd uh, been in, you'd been advised by the union to do what you did, which was uh, stop going into work, you're calling in sick and uh, you were being supported by your, your insurance. And when did you find out that they they wanted to do the investigative meeting. Yeah. So, so again, before I say that, I will just clarify within my employer. And I think within probably many of these large health employers, there's the side of human resources that does an investigation and does the discipline part of it. And then there's the part of it that manages anyone who is off work with an injury or uh, a disability as they deem it. Um, and you, you would think that there would be communication between these two branches of human resources. There is not. So after, shortly after I, I went through treatment, I completed my independent medical examination. The, the disability side of, of human resources said, okay, let's, let's talk about getting you back to work. And it, that was in May. And I, at that point, it was, it was really, uh, it felt soon. It felt like I might actually hit that uh, that deadline that was given to me by the, by the union back in October. So it was really exciting. I was starting to meet with, with WorkSafe, meet with this branch of human resources and, and the union. And we were talking about what the options were and simultaneous to that, or, you know, maybe on the second meeting or in between the first and second meeting, I got a phone call saying it's time to come in for your investigation. And, and I knew that that was coming. I knew that that was, um, I was, I was due for that. And I certainly didn't, wasn't under the illusion that I was going to get through this without having to be accountable for, for what had happened. But as soon as that um, clicked into place, the, the more the, the investigation side with human resources, all of the return to work piece stopped completely shut down. And they said, we'll come back to this when your investigation is finished. So, okay, the balloon has been deflated again <laughs> and, right. and it's time to gear up for, for this investigation, still not knowing what that would look like, still not knowing what the details of the investigation were at that point. This was in, this was, um, six months later, almost seven months later, I still did not know that they knew about the hydromorphone. I did not know that that was, that that was the cause for the investigation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I knew I knew because I knew what I had been doing and, and I was, I was owning it, mm-hmm. but no one had said those words to me. So I was still walking into that meeting 
you know, sort of blindly. Mm-hmm. And we had requested the, when I say we, myself and the union had requested to know what that meeting would be about. And the answer we got was that it was about my conduct at work. <laughs> so about as, about as non-specific as you could get. Now, I just, again, when I heard that, I thought, well, okay, it's, it's the hydromorphone. Um, and I, well, yeah. What do you think the motivation is there not to be upfront about the topic of uh, the meeting? Oh, what, what are they trying? Is this a, a further attempt to keep you off balance uh, so that when this meeting happens, they, they're hoping they can extract more information or I'm not, yeah, what do you I, think? I mean, I, I do think that yeah. I, I do think that that I, I can't um, I can't see it as anything other than a, a control tactic um, at this point. Um, my understanding of, you know, going into that meeting was that I was, I had the right to know what the purpose of the investigation was. Um, and the union had asked that, but, but that was seemed to be as far as it went. And, and again, I felt confident and comfortable that this is what it was about. So I, my mentality at that time was, okay, let's do it. Let's go, go forward. Let's uh, reframe it and say that you had type two diabetes and your sugars were out of control. And what was happening is you were, you were having fainting spells at work and it had actually, it had caused several problems with your coworkers and patients. And, and, uh, this was happening and you got this phone call and they wanted to come you to come in for an investigation. But when you asked, they wouldn't tell you why, do you think that that would be, do you think they would do that to somebody who, who had type two diabetes? Well, again, given that, given that there was, hadn't been an investigation at that point, um, they didn't, they didn't really know. And I mean, to, so to, to think about it that way, that would be shocking. Right. That would be absolutely shocking. <laughs> and again, this is where we, where um, I think stigma drives a lot of, has a, the influence of stigma is huge, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's the, it's the double speak, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you, you received some kind of information from your union as to how to proceed with this. You asked your union how to, what would be the strategy going in and what did they tell you? Yeah. So at at this point I I was, my, my contacts from the union um, were not, not necessarily when I say high up, I mean, I wasn't dealing with labor relations officers at that point. I was dealing with, with stewards uh, shop stewards and and the disability management branch of the union as well, and and that's just fine. That was all that was I needed at, at that point as I saw it. And the advice that I was given was, we don't know what information they're going to show, and and don't don't go in there and, and bury your soul. Let's let's see what they let's see what they have for us. Let's see what they're going to tell you about about your case. Um, there were, there was, I think about maybe a week to prepare for that. And we, we had discussion back and forth myself and the, and the union and, and how much do we say I, I, I remembered of it. And they said, let's again, let's see what documents they, they bring forward. And, but basically don't, don't admit to anything that you don't feel comfortable admitting to. So when I got into the meeting, um, and again, so this, this brings us, this is beyond May now. We're, now we're into, into, into the spring, into early summer. Mm-hmm. And the documents that they brought forward for me, uh, the documents of concern, these were, these were charts, patient charts, were from about a year and a half prior. About, no, I'm sorry, maybe about a year prior. And, the, you know, John Doe, who came in on a, on a Saturday with this, did you give him this medication? Well, I, I didn't recall. I didn't recall John Doe. I didn't recall Jane Doe. I didn't recall if I gave them that medication or not. Now I knew that, that the timeline lined up that, that, okay, this is probably accurate. And that this is probably was something on my part that had to do with my hydromorphone use. But did I remember those specifics? No, I did not. And, and that was what I said. 
Um, I was not comfortable with how that meeting went. You know, I felt like, um, you know, Mark Furman at the OJ Simpson trial, pleading the, pleading the fifth to, to all of that. It just, it, um, it didn't sit right with me, but, but I didn't, I didn't recall specific charts. And to, to say, yeah, I remember, I remember that guy. And I remember that I gave him one milligram of hydromorphone and 50 milligrams of gravel. Um, that wouldn't have been true either. It, it, it really wouldn't have. And I don't say that, you know, to try to, to cover my butt, but I would challenge any, any nurse out there or any pharmacist for that matter, who, you know, to, to recall a dosing for a patient over a year or a year prior to a, a, a meeting, a stressful meeting and yeah, it's ridiculous and it, it happens all the time actually it does yeah many of these in many of these meetings they these charts come out and uh you know imagine like uh, yourself you're working in a acute care setting uh or you're uh, i've seen uh emerge nurses where they're you know it's there was narcotics missing from two years prior and they were under suspicion for no reason really um and they were they were expected to be able to to offer some clarity on whether or not that a dose was given two years ago. It's just why are you you know it's 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 so ridiculous of a request that it uh, again makes you wonder what the point is. Yeah. So so two things there. First of all, I think that because it it gets handled as a disease for better or for worse, it gets handled as as a disease. So so the employer has to has to tap dance around asking you anything that could be about your quote unquote disease. And mm. so they're very, very reticent to say, to, to talk about addiction or to, they won't, they won't talk about addiction. They won't talk about that. This is suspected drug use. The interesting thing is in this meeting, I, and it was a big, the biggest question mark I had going into the meeting was, did they have evidence from my peers? Or were there complaints brought forward by my peers or by patients, say? Um, and no, there were there was no no evidence brought forward that that you know Sally saw me on this day and I was intoxicated. Mm-hmm. It was it was only discrepancies within the charting and discrepancies within the um, the drug dispensing machine. So that's okay. just kind of an interesting thing because that later came back to haunt me again in the next meeting, which we'll right. get to. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We'll move along there. <laughs> There's just so many things to, uh, that are confusing about the process. Yeah. Um, but okay. So basically you made it through uh, that first investigative meeting. They asked you questions that you could uh, basically plead the fifth without, you know, really compromising your integrity because the questions were so ridiculous in the first place. Yep. And the, and the meeting ended with my manager saying, oh, well, we know you, you know, that we love you here, Corey. Hmm. Those are the last words of that meeting. You know, that we love you. Huh? Yeah, well, <laughs> in, in, talk about a uh, confusing way to end. Yeah. I mean, it, what kind of a professional statement is that in any context? Um, yeah. Very weird conduct. Uh, yeah, and I guess it was giving me the benefit of the doubt, but I had just um, pled the fifth, so to speak, to all of their questions and denied all of their questions. Again, mm-hmm. which I, I didn't feel good about, but <laughs> if the tables were turned, I don't think I'd be telling the person on the other side that I that I love them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Um Okay, so uh, how did how did things progress after uh, you you got out of that first meeting? They, yeah, so another long pause. So that you know there was another. Oh, it must have been close to a month, I think, uh, until I heard from anyone, mm-hmm. union um, included. Union, union included. You know, we mm-hmm. were kind of we were kind of waiting. So that was the step one of the investigation meeting. I was anticipating that I. Um, would be called to some sort of a, a part two of the meeting. And the message from the union was still, okay, then let's get through this and then we'll proceed to the back to the back to work meetings, to the, 
to the accommodation meetings. That's mm-hmm. so that was still floating around in my head that, okay, just got to get through this and then I'll, I'll get back. Right. So this is just my, my guess is that they expected you to go into that meeting and somehow it would come out that you, that you had a, a substance use problem and then that would solve the problem for them. And they would be yeah. able to proceed with what they had ready, what they, whatever they had ready to proceed with. Yeah. Um, exactly. when, the, when that didn't happen, they had to regroup and they, I, I guess they didn't have a plan B. It took them a long time to figure out what to do. And your union is, I guess they didn't know what to make of it. Did they, what, what did they tell you? Like you must've been asking how it went. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they didn't know what to make of it. Mm. And there was, there was radio silence on the other end. Uh, their requests to proceed with both of those meetings was, were unanswered. And so I, I waited. Mm-hmm. And, um, at this point I was still, I was still, you know, I was off on long-term disability. So I was being paid by, um, the insurance company. Right. And you got to think from the insurance company's point of view, I mean, I know what those guys are like <laughs> as an entity, they are, uh, they're constantly watching and running the numbers. Right. So these types of pauses that are kind of nonsensical or at least if there is a reason for them, I don't, I I don't know why it can't be done in a more efficient manner, but um, there could be a reason for it. So the the amount of money that is, that they're shelling out that, that they might not have to, you know, you'd think that there would be pressure from them, but I don't, again, I don't know. It might be a, they might be tap dancing around the the issue as well. Right. Yeah. It's a, that's a good question. I, I would wonder what the, what those closed door conversations are like, about that. And if there's, if there is pressure there to proceed into, you know, the, as they, as they're watching the the numbers tick along. Yeah. So interestingly though, it was about um, a week or two before I was called back to the part two investigation, investigation meeting. Um, I got a phone call saying that I was cut off pay that, that as of this given day, I think it was a Friday I was cut off from from receiving long-term disability pay okay did they explain uh no how that was possible no there's no explanation they said until the (laughs) until the investigation concludes you're not going to be paid now i was being paid i was under uh workers compensation i'm calling it and and they took over over payments and that was quite seamless so there wasn't actually financial stress there okay Um, so that's how the the short of is that's how the insurance company dealt with it they bucked that right away. They, they, they passed yeah. it on to work safe. <laughs> yeah. And they knew that they would, they would take over payment and, right. um, okay. but still without explanation of what was going on. Right. So there's got there, there must be communications flowing back and forth as to what's really happening here. Yeah. Otherwise, why would, uh, why would insurance, you know, if they didn't suspect that something was either going to happen or something, uh, you know, I would say criminal, but something negative is was going to come out of these investigations. Then why would they cut you off? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Isn't, isn't that like that? They shouldn't be able to communicate like that because that would be a confidentiality breach. Correct. Exactly. And, and again, going back to what we mentioned a few moments ago about that, they very much operate under the disease model for addiction mm-hmm. um, for, for, for better or worse. I know that we, we disagree with, with the disease model part of it, but they, but they treat it as such. They treat it as a medical condition. I'll say mm-hmm. um, yet there, it, it is not treated the same as a broken leg or a, or a back injury is like, there's a, there's a certain Liberty that is taken with that. Mm-hmm. And so, I can't imagine another circumstances. You get, you gave the example of the person with, with diabetes, who's maybe collapsing at work mm-hmm. where until things have concluded where they were, would be cut off like that. Well, imagine if it was a, a cancerous brain tumor, right? Like, like who wouldn't sue immediately? I, yeah. You know, I'd like, what do you mean? You're dropping my disability. Why? What, on what grounds, you know, what, uh, yeah. 
it, it, it just, you would at least expect uh, some kind of a, a, an explanation as to what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was, my pay was, was stopped. Um, it was taken over by the, by workers compensation. And then, uh, and then I waited and then was eventually called in to, to the second meeting. Okay. So just out of curiosity, uh, with the insurance company that you, that you had at work there, you were classified as off work on disability, long-term yeah. disability, I guess. Yeah. And then when that got passed to WorkSafe, was the, was the classification the same or did it change? Yeah, but it, it was the same. But WorkSafe okay. um, had accepted, accepted my claim and they do accept claims for, um, for addiction and substance use related to, to okay. trauma and stress caused by the workplace. Right. So, whereas the other insurance company does not. Correct. Yeah. And so this was the easiest. I mean, that, that, that part of the trend, that transition over to them paying me was seamless and, and stress-free, honestly, like it was yeah. just very fluid. But it's very, it's very strong evidence again, <laughs> that, that, that insurance company knew stuff about your medical situation that they shouldn't have. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that the insurance company is at the whim of the person that human resources saying, cut it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Just interesting. That's all. Yep. You're going into uh, getting ready to go into the second meeting. Yeah. Um, so how did that, uh, was it the same thing where they just basically called you up and said, why don't you come in in a couple of days? We're going to talk again. Yeah. And so by that point, the, the, and, and by that point, my pay had been cut off. So the union was, was, had, had woken up and they were, you know, very in a heightened state for me. So, so there were more conversations and there were, and there were higher up people, more powerful people, I'll say within the union who were brought into the conversation and the, the outcome and the, the way that first meeting I had, where I said, I didn't recall anything that came into the discussion and there were, it became quite obvious that there was uh, a disconnect there that, that half of the union involved in my case felt that I should still say, you don't recall because based on those charts, I didn't recall. And the labor relations officer said, just pour it out there. You got nothing to lose. And, and they didn't agree with each other. And I was sort of in the middle of this conversation and so it had to come down for me. I think I could have at the end of the, at the end of the day, I was the one who was going to be speaking at this, <clears throat> at this meeting. And they did sort of leave it up to me to make that decision. And I'm, I'm glad that they did. So I, 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 I weighed that out and, and someone in my, in my life said to me, what do you need to do to ensure that at the end of the day, when you walk out of that second meeting, you, your, your head is high, regardless of what the outcome is. Now at this point I'd been cut off pay. So I, I had a pretty good hunch that this wasn't going to go well. I, I knew that I was going to walk into a, into a storm here. Mm-hmm. So that thought stayed in my mind about, you know, keeping my head up at the end of the meeting, at the end of the day, it's myself that I have to live with. It's I'm prepared to live with the consequences of that, but um, in terms of what would be better or worse for me, sitting with sitting with that and not just speaking my truth uh, would would have been worse. Right. Um, I just as a, a question about the evidence that uh, you know they had these charts that were there were discrepancies. Was your union aware of any other evidence that suggests that there was a a problem going on? No. And if, no. Okay. So this they're going on they're they're going on the belief that that's all there is so therefore you know if you if you wanted to continue to say i don't know what you're talking about it would be very difficult for your employer to move forward yes okay that was the, the exactly that was the notion of of half of the union and the other half felt well just lay it out there be honest with them and then we'll move forward however we can based on the result of that mm-hmm. yeah but there was but to, to our knowledge on our side, there was no, <clears throat> there was no information that said that they had more, more on me, so to speak, than, mm-hmm. than those charts. Correct. Okay. So do you want to take us through that meeting and yeah. describe what happened? 
yeah. So in, in the second meeting, uh, I was called in and, and again, it was just my manager and, and human resources and myself and, and, and my union representative representative. And I was read a termination letter stating that the relationship had been fractured beyond repair. And based on the fact that I didn't answer the questions that were provided to me in the first investigation meeting, the questions around those charts that I wasn't for, it wasn't forthcoming with information and, and was deemed to be sort of um, a non-participant based on that, that they couldn't, couldn't go on with me being an employee. And so I was terminated. My manager was crying as she read that letter. Mm -hmm. Interestingly. So then there was a pause and, and they took a brief sort of recess for me to, to think about what was read to me. And the brief discussion was, okay, now what do you want to do, Corey? Mm. And again, that kind of thought about how do I need to walk out of here feeling like not like a complete failure and not like a complete, um, just like I have lost this whole thing. I'll just go for it. And so when they came back in, they said, is there anything that you want to say that could, that could salvage this relationship? And I said, it's all, it's all true. I was taking medication from work. I was taking medication at work. I was intoxicated at work. I messed with the charts. I did all of these things that you've accused me of. I, in fact, I, I confessed to more than what they had on me by far. And I think that I'm sure that the union steward had some palpitations as I just sort of <laughs> laid it all out there and, and kind of went beyond what just was because they didn't have proof that I was intoxicated at work. They just had these errors on the charts. And I said, yeah, I was intoxicated at work. At, at that moment when they, they left you to think about things, um, you, you probably realized that, that that would not stand as far as a termination process. Like you, without, without more evidence than they had that, you know, it, it was obviously a ploy to, you know, try to shake you up. Um, yeah, it was like a, it was, it was, it felt like a game of chicken. Like yeah. who's going to, who's going to flinch. Right. So you, you took that into consideration and realized that, um, had you wanted to be the, had you wanted to go that route where you, you're forcing their hand constantly, uh, then in, in reality, they probably would have lost, uh, they would have lost that battle anyway, but yeah, uh, you're, you weren't thinking in those terms at that time. And you were starting to think about the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, in my mind though, at the time I, I was, I was also thinking like, but again, isn't this, aren't they saying that this is a medical issue? Isn't there an insurance company that is accepting that this is a medical issue? Didn't they send me for this treatment and back to a doctor to confirm that I had been, that I'd been cured of this condition? Mm. So then how can they, how can they fire me? And, but, but you're absolutely right that my, my thinking at that time was, was bigger picture. I mm. had to, for, for me, my choice was to think about how, how to put myself back together, how to not end up with more moral distress and, and misalignment um, with my values and with, you know, that, that kind of, we talked about cognitive, have talked about cognitive dissonance and, and to, to continue to deny, I felt, would have given me endless sleepless nights. Mm. So you wisely, you, you weighed that, you know, how much you're probably, you know, you're probably feeling some anger. You're probably resentful towards them. Maybe you actually wanted, I know what, uh, I'm in a similar situation when I was going through that process. There was lots of, uh, you know, it's easy to get on a path that could lead you down. Well, it's like a war path. Right. Yeah. And, um, for, you know, it's, I think for a lot of people, myself included, I can get in those situations and I realize that it's not the best thing for me, <laughs> but I'll, I'll move forward anyway, because I'm so mad. Right. And, yeah. uh, you were able to, you know, keep your poise and look at the situation, see what they were doing 
and basically decide to be forthright. Yeah. And you know, the, the other thing, the other, and I don't say this, I don't say this to pat myself on the back, but I say it because it kind of, it was effective. I also had in my mind that one of the things I've learned in, in, in this recovery journey is that gratitude goes a long way and, and not only for the other person, but gratitude, expressing gratitude and living in gratitude, it, it almost doesn't, it, it doesn't leave room for a lot of those other ugly, difficult feelings and, and to be intentional with gratitude can kind of change my own feeling. It's and a so, fact. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 there's evidence backing that up. It's really there, interesting. There is, yeah. there is. And so I thanked, I thanked my manager and human resources team for, for my employer for saving my life mm-hmm. and said, had you have not taken me off work immediately and, you know, started this whole process off, I, I could be dead. And I don't know what would have happened, but I could be dead. I certainly would have, wouldn't have come to that conclusion on, on my own, I don't think. So thank you. I'm grateful for you. And, and again, that's not, I don't pat myself on the back necessarily for that, but I think that it did. Um, I think that it kind of shook everyone in the room and it, it was another thing that I thought, well, I, what else can I say here that where I can leave feeling like I, I turned over every stone and, and gratitude is part of that. I think. Yeah. That when you told me that uh, after it happened, I just, it, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm still impressed with the way that you handled the whole situation, but that particular move there where you, you decided to take the high road and then you really dug into it to, to an extent that I, I think you left that meeting not only with your head high, but I think you made some people really start to, to think about their own lives and their own, <laughs> the way they were ha- handling the problem, you know, it, like it, it shook them up. Right. Yeah. And I'm, as you know, I'm not an AA guy, but the, the piece about making amends and, and healing, healing broken relationships, there is some, obviously something to that. There's, there's value to that. Of course. And I, and I don't think I, as we will learn as the story goes on that, that I could fully heal that relationship with my employer. But in the, in the spirit of making amends and in the spirit of, of trying to heal myself, all I can worry about is trying to heal myself to, to say, Hey, if you hadn't have done that, I, I, I could be dead right now. And I believe that to be true. And, and so to, the fact that I had that opportunity to express it and I did, I'm, I'm sure glad that I did. Yeah. Yes. And that's the reason it hit so hard is because you believed that to be, you know, that you believed there was a real potential for you to die and that, that they really did pull you out of the fire there. And you were honestly grateful, you know, yeah. had it been just, you know, something that you concocted to, um, you know, because you thought it was the right thing to do or whatever, I don't think it would have had nearly the same impact. No. And, and, me coming clean about about all of the <clears throat> all of my behavior at work and what I was doing and and coming clean about about all of the medication the medication that was missing and and as it was there was still no evidence that I was intoxicated at work but I was admitting to that too and that was what was going to do potentially heal that relationship with my employer it wasn't it wasn't the gratitude that was for myself I think to to try to heal um that said, the um, it 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 worked in that I that termination letter was was rescinded. 